This episode is supported by Amethix Technologies. Amethix is an independent lab that builds solutions for your business. We provide advanced analytics solutions in domains like healthcare, pharmaceuticals, finance, the energy sector, insurance, and many more. With Amethix, you have a business partner committed to delivering more than just software. We deliver the outcome you care about, which is data-driven decision support. If your business is all about data and machine learning or AI, give us a call. Amethix.com. That's A-M-E-T-H-I-X.com. All right, let's do this. How are you data scientists and engineers? How are you business people? What's up nerds? Did you grasp that thing you were studying? This is Data Science at Home, the podcast about machine learning, artificial intelligence, and more good stuff. I am Francesco, I'll be your host for the next 30 minutes, so grab a cup of coffee and join me as we learn more about the topics we love most. Welcome back to another episode of Data Science at Home podcast. I'm Francesco. I'll be your host for the next 40 minutes today. And uh, today we're going to speak about something incredibly interesting. We're going to speak about unstoppable data. And uh, when we speak about unstoppable data, probably someone out there already understood what we're talking about, right? Blockchain, data, unstoppable apps. Well, I'm with uh, Henry Piccola. Founder and CEO at Streamer Network. Hey, Henry, how are you doing? Hi, hi. Thanks for having me, Francesco. It's great to be here. <laughs> it's a pleasure to have you here on the show. I'm uh, pretty sure that today uh, is going to be quite an interesting conversation uh, about, uh, as I said, unstoppable data, because that's kind of the tagline at Streamer Network, right? Delivering unstoppable data to unstoppable apps. So what is Streamer? Exactly. Yeah. So Streamer uh, is a crowdfunded open source project that builds technologies for decentralized global data economies. And decentralization is also what the unstoppable sort of uh, refers to. And the most profound component of the project is the Streamer network, which is a real-time messaging system implemented as a peer-to-peer network. So it's kind of a global neutral data fabric where applications and devices such as IoT sensors, connected cars, uh, you know, apps on mobile phones um, can share and broadcast the data they are producing. And then the network delivers that data to valid subscribers in near real time without any kind of middlemen or you know, a centralized server in between, uh, which is how it's you know, traditionally done. Um, so, so yeah, that's, that's how the network works. And then we have a couple of other components in the ecosystem, like a data marketplace, a data crowdsourcing and data crowd selling framework called data unions and that kind of stuff. But I think we'll get to talk about those oh yeah, yeah. We, we'll, we'll have awesome. plenty of time to go <laughs> to go through all of them uh, indeed i mean you know what you just explained is indeed something that you know it's a network so it's something on top of which you can actually build a lot of applications right so uh you were already mentioning some of them so what are the typical applications that one can execute or build 
on top of the streamer network. Yeah, right. So the network sort of implements a quite simple primitive. It just transports data, uh, it sort of broadcasts data. So um, the range of use cases that can exist are quite broad. You know, it can be used for, um, you know, anything from smart traffic to medical data and hospital settings to, you know, sharing data from university smart campuses to uh, maybe as a backbone for multiplayer games, uh, right? But usually where you need this kind of uh, decentralized setting or decentralized technology is when you have multiple parties that are producing and sharing data. For example, you know, in a consortium of companies, uh, they want to exchange data with each other to improve everyone's business or, or even global scale data crowdsourcing and crowd selling where the users of a particular application or owners of a particular connected device like a you know Tesla car or something like this, they can together contribute data into uh, you know a big stream of everyone's data and then that data can be uh, for example sold on a marketplace or plugged into various kind of uh, applications everywhere. So essentially what you guys are building is can I say an infrastructure a piece of uh, it's like the highway then whatever you transport yeah. defines your business right? Exactly so so it sort of replaces cloud services that do similar things uh, right so but instead of everyone putting their data into into a silo in the cloud, you know, that doesn't connect to anything else unless you explicitly make some kind of integration. Instead of that, you put data into this global connective tissue that everyone can access and, and sort of pull data streams for their own applications or their own needs, whether it's like improving their business or maybe training some uh, AI or, or, you know, whatever. Um, so it's much more fruitful because it unsilos the data and makes it sort of accessible via via a single protocol. And so, well, this is super cool. I mean, uh, you just mentioned that all this is uh, is happening in a decentralized uh, way, right? Uh, now, whenever we hear this, the word decentralized, we usually refer to the word or or we associate that to the word of you know blockchain. So is there a blockchain involved in Streamer? Well, yes and no. So Streamer network itself is, is not a blockchain, right? It's just a peer-to-peer -peer network. And the important difference to a blockchain is that the Streamer network is not trying to form a consensus about truth, right? That's, that's the most important aspect of a blockchain and also the most difficult one in terms of preventing things like double spending. You know, you can't Right. spent the same money twice, but the streamer network just transports data. Uh, so uh, it, yeah, it's not a blockchain, but it does use a blockchain. So it's like a companion network to a blockchain. And what we use the blockchain for is to maintain registries about important things, as well as build incentive mechanisms for people to um, participate in the network. And one important aspect of the streamer network is the cryptocurrency uh, streamer data coin, uh, which is a token on the Ethereum blockchain. And it can be used to incentivize nodes to participate in the network and sort of broker data to each other to make the data flow more, uh, more scalable and more robust uh, in various uh, situations. Um, so yeah, it, it's sort of like a tandem 
um, tandem operation with the streamer network and an adjacent uh, blockchain. Right. So essentially, the um, I, I just try to 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 rephrase uh, just for me to understand. Uh, yeah. The the streamer token is an incentive for any node to participate to the network and function right. as a as a relay, as a bridge, as a right. Exactly. As a broker. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you can sort of mine. You can sort of mine the tokens with uh, you know uh, contributing bandwidth. To the network right, right? so within, so within resources different. okay yeah yeah contributing useful resources so it's a bit different from say mining bitcoin or something where you're basically right. just burning energy to make it more expensive to attack the system uh, but in the streamer network you're contributing bandwidth to make the the function of the network which is relaying data uh, function better right right uh, and the payers into that system are usually the stream owners. So that, you know, you have a stream, I want that to uh, be distributed over the network. So you're sort of paying in a similar sense that you'd be paying a cloud service. Uh, but instead of your money going to Amazon or Microsoft or, you know, uh, one of these big players, uh, it actually goes to those people who, um, who are contributing their bandwidth to the network. It's, mm. uh, it's, it's very cool. These, these incentives, mechanism is actually something we don't quite yet have uh, in the live version of the network but that's coming that's coming soon got it okay well this is indeed very cool and um, uh, you know whenever you speak about blockchain uh, we are kind of more educated in the last few years of course um, yeah. but whenever we speak about blockchain uh, there is, you know, there are three things that are usually mentioned. That is, you know, decentralization, scalability, and security, right? Uh, and right. most of the time, you can get only two, two out of three. You, you can't get all. Uh, sure. So I, I understand that, you know, in the case of Streamer, as you said, the blockchain component is not, you know, the core because this is a peer-to-peer -peer yeah. network. But how yeah. do you guys deal with this trilemma? Yeah, of course, like. Uh, like I mentioned, Streamer is not a blockchain, so we're not even trying to solve the dilemma. And the current day blockchains are enough uh, for the use cases of Streamer in the sense that we don't need that kind of scalability because we mainly just refer to things like registries of permissions and that kind of things that are used for message validation on the network. So it's, you know, it's okay. Um, but I think, the, you know, from our perspective, scalability and security and decentralization are all important, but the streamer network doesn't suffer from the same trilemma as blockchains do because we're not trying to do <laughs> right. the same thing, right? We're not trying to establish consensus in there. And that's the important bit. Uh, so for scalability in the streamer network, it comes quite naturally um, in different dimensions because the the nodes that are interested in different data topics, different data streams, they are sort of independent. So nodes that, uh, you know, subscribe to a particular stream, they form these topologies together uh, that, that are independent from the topologies from, uh, for, for some other streams. So this is how you sort of get, um, get scalability over the universe of, of streams that might exist. And then for the sort of, throughput side of things the each node it's actually very very cool so each node that joins a topology they both you know they they take and give back so every node participates in uh, moving the data to 
its neighbors. So everyone's sort of consuming resources, but also giving resources to the network. And this is how this is how decentralization can be achieved. And this is how the network can do the thing that that it is doing without any any middlemen. So everyone's participating to make it happen. Well, there are several concepts here that come from, you know, the field of graph theory that, of course, help a lot uh, because that's a very mature field uh, branch of mathematics, in fact, and, uh, and, and topology uh, that allows us to or our engineers or scientists to uh, measure uh, some metric and, of course, make some uh, assumptions about uh, about the network. Um, and this is especially true when the network is supposed to be a global network, because if we run things, you know, in a in a very controlled environment with a hundred nodes or something, you know, we get some results. But when we go in the in the global world, uh, in the wild or in the jungle, uh, something different can happen. Uh, so there are some uh, very useful metrics that you guys have been uh, collecting and measuring. Uh, and there is also a very nice blog post, quite technical, but we'll we'll do our best to summarize it in this show because, as we were saying before, it's going to be very cha- challenging to to explain these concepts without a without a visualization, bar charts, and graphs and stuff. So, uh, Henry, we have yeah. to try our <laughs> sure. best to explain this to the listeners of uh, of data science at home. <laughs> so, network diameter. Uh, what is it? And uh, together with some other metrics that you want to mention about that come from graph theory, why are those important? And first of all, which one are these metrics? Yeah, so let me take a small step back there. The reason we need to think about this parameterization is that we are interested in the performance of the network, right? And the particular metric that usually gets compromised uh, with with decentralization is latency. So when we're building a real-time, you know, it's a network for real-time data. So we're kind of interested in latency, like how long does it take for a message to, to go to the subscribers, right? And, and, you know, when the network decentralizes, there can be thousands of nodes and they can be all over the world uh, connected in various different kinds of ways. So it's very important for us to understand the structure of the network and especially research like what kind of structure would be good in the first place for this kind of network and what kind of optimizations are available. So if you think about a a centralized system uh, where you'd have a single data broker in the middle and then everyone connects to that. So that's sort of good for latency if you're close to the close to the uh, data source and close to the broker that sits in the middle. But if you have a decentralized network, then the data travels through multiple hops, right? So, you know, it's going from my node to your node, to that guy's node, to that guy's node, and eventually it reaches everyone. And one metric that describes that we can use as a proxy of latency is the network diameter. So that means basically like how many hops you have to uh, jump to get from one far end of the network topology to the other far end of the to- uh, topology, right? Uh, so this can be researched in uh, in the in the space of different kind of graphs, which in our case is regular uh, regular random graphs, um, and it gives us a pretty good picture of 
what kind of characteristics is it has because we need to choose a parameter for example by default how many neighbors each node in a topology will have and researching how these parameters like network diameter is affected by uh, by the um, node degree which is the other parameter how many how many connections each node has in this regular graph uh, we can sort of plot where the sweet spots are you know or see where there starts to be diminishing returns or this kind of thing so we can make like parameterizations that make sense for our use case of of delivering data there is another assumption in, in a, such a network for example the, the fact that the network can be highly unstable like if you connect to uh, my my node maybe I can, I can disconnect anytime and so what what happens <laughs> right exactly exactly that's what we call churn uh, and a high churn will make it more difficult to propagate the messages because your neighbors could just come and go and come and go and come and go, right? And this is exactly where the incentivization helps. So if you have a stable node, uh, you can earn tokens, right? By, right? by having a stable node, right? So even in high churn environments where there's a variety of nodes, there's nodes that are not uh, earning or mining, they're just, you know, uh, participating they're doing work when they're participating but we have no guarantees whether they will disappear suddenly right so there's there's this incentivization that can help and then there's redundancy so if i'm connected to let's say four nodes at any given time and one of them is your node and then you suddenly uh, disappear then okay because i still have those three nodes left and they are all sending me the same data. So there's duplication and redundancy for exactly this purpose, that the, the sort of success of delivery is not depending on, on any single node or even a set of nodes, only if enough nodes disappear from the network at roughly the same time, then some disruptions can uh, occur unless we have these stable nodes that are incentivized to stay there, right? When, uh, and that helps uh, to, to combat this. And, uh, and what happens to the duplicate nodes? Well, the nodes that are carrying duplicate information, do they also share the incentive? Uh, yes, so basically everyone does the same. Everyone does the same. Your, your job as a node is to, you know, whenever you see a message, you send it to your neighbors. And, and that's it, basically. And you have to track which, are, which messages you've seen already so that you don't send the same message again. And also you don't send the message back to the guy you got it from, right? So this is how the message gets, gets propagated there. Everyone's doing the same task. So basically even normal subscribers could, could mine these streams and, uh, and earn tokens. But of course they can't, you know, the token earning happens over time. So you have to have like high uptime and stable, uh, you know, stable node and stable connection to, for that to be really, uh, really like useful to do. So I have a probably a stupid question, which is uh, I can be a malicious node uh, that is trying yeah. to <laughs> yeah. you already see that, right? <laughs> so yeah. I, I, I'm a malicious node that of course I want to optimize and to increase my incentive as much as I can. Who is assigning me this token? And uh, uh, is there a way to uh, game the system? 
Yeah, there's very various kind of attacks, of course. Like if you if we just think about the pure message propagation, there's a couple of attacks. Like there's censorship, where your node uh, receives messages but simply doesn't send them uh, onwards, right? And since it's a decentralized, untrusted environment, basically anyone can anyone can do this. And this is again why you have redundancy. That even if some nodes are censoring. Uh, you can always sort of connect to some other guys or at least some of your neighbors will be honest and, and do the thing that, that they're supposed to do. Another attack is spoofing messages. So, you know, a node could just send a message to their neighbors that isn't actually a valid message in that stream, right? But the messages are signed cryptographically. So the recipient can uh, check the signature of the message and see who, uh, who signed it then they refer to the to the blockchain side of things and check that is this guy is this guy a valid publisher on this stream so there's like a registry of permissions in a smart contract on the ethereum chain and uh, so that way you can validate that these messages are actually authentic and coming from the publisher and not and not something that a malicious node uh, suddenly decided to to just spoof and and then there's the topic of uh, of sort of trying to cheat the token economics, right? And we're still sort of in the middle of uh, of that research, as I mentioned. It's something that's coming later, so there's probably still uh, some attacks against that system. But basically, uh, if you're doing honest work, your neighbors will be able to uh, to see that you're doing honest work, so they can sort of cross cross validate each other, you know. If we're connected, I can validate that you're doing the right thing and you can validate that I'm doing the right thing. And only if enough nodes collude, uh, then, then they can sort of cheat the system. But that's the same in, in any kind of uh, decentralized system, uh, even the blockchains, that if nodes collude, they can, uh, they can take over the power in the system. You're referring to the 51% attack. Yes, exactly. Okay. Uh, interesting. And uh, uh, Henry, there is a, you know, I would like to have a better idea about, you know, the scenarios. Um, well, the scenarios you have described already, uh, but in uh, uh, how did you run these experiments? For example, especially those related to the uh, network diameters and all the other metrics for, um, you know, propagation delay. Uh, for example, there is one in particular that really caught my attention that is by increasing the number of nodes, uh, the propagation delay in milliseconds doesn't explode, you know, together, you know, not even linearly, it just goes to a plateau, which, which is a very good thing, because it means that as exactly. I add new nodes to the yeah. network, the propagation delay is going to sit on a, on a plateau. Right. Now, my question is, is there any particular, uh, let's say, scenario that has to happen? For example, number of nodes, network type, type of connection, uh, bandwidth, or is it uh, generic and it applies to you know realistic conditions or the conditions of the real world? Yeah, it's kind of generic, but of course in the uh, in the experiments that we run. So the we're here we're referring to the blog post and the white paper. So the blog post is sort of like a summary of the bigger performance and scalability white paper that we wrote, and those results are are related to that. So we were particularly interested in how the latency gets 
affected when the number of nodes in the topology uh, grows very large. And by, okay, by very large, I mean here, uh, what we tested in the real world was like up to uh, 2000 nodes, but we also did some simulations up to, you know, a million nodes or something like this. Uh, but of course, it's very hard to run real world simulations with a, with a million nodes, because where do you, you know, where do you get those sure. million nodes <laughs> from? So what we did in the real world part of the experiment, uh, we uh, started nodes in different regions of the AWS cloud. So we got sort of geographic um, uh, distribution, like global distribution for those nodes. Of course, it's not a perfectly uh, realistic scenario because all the nodes were running in AWS cloud and we can make assumptions that, okay, there's probably like quite fast and quite reliable connections between those different regions and data centers. Whereas in the real world, people might run these in uh, you know, other commercial data centers or even at their homes in a, you know, I don't know, ra in a Raspberry Pi or, or whatever. So it's not completely descriptive, but we were more in, we were mostly interested in how it behaves, not the, not the sort of absolute numbers, but rather the, the shape, right? Or the curve that we get uh, out of there. Uh, and one key result that you already mentioned is that the, the latency uh, grows very slowly when uh, when the number of nodes in the topology it uh, grows. It doesn't exactly plateau, but it grows logarithmically, which was a very good result for us. And also in absolute terms, we saw that, okay, this kind of network can actually be competitive against centralized cloud solutions. You know, there's some uh, you know AWS and Azure Cloud have their own sort of data brokering solutions and there's some dedicated ones and usually the global latency in this kind of networks uh, centralized services they they promise something like you know we deliver your data points in 300 milliseconds or, or whatnot uh, and we were able to achieve a similar level of uh, of latency ranging from you know 15 seconds to let's say 300 globally uh, depending on on the size of the network. And that was great because it, it shows that decentralized uh, data distribution networks can actually compete with these centralized ones, even in terms of latency, which as I mentioned, is usually the yeah. thing that is sacrificed when, you, when you're going to a decentralized setting, Absolutely. right? It just, it's just slower usually. But in this case, we got pretty good results and we're happy with, with how we're approaching things. So sort of validated our uh, parameterization and our approach that, okay, this is worth doing, let's do it. Uh, and we did and are doing it. <laughs> <laughs> It's really fascinating. I mean, that's indeed one of the metrics that you're almost always ready to, to sacrifice indeed when it comes to choosing a, a centralized service versus a decentralized one. Right, exactly. And of course, the, the, you know, the fastest latency is always like a direct connection between right. two parties. But if you want scalability, you can't have a direct connection to everyone. You know, if you're broadcasting your data to a million uh, people, you'd need to have like million connections from your source, right? And so it just doesn't scale to the 
to the use cases like open data or smart cities or this kind of thing. So you yeah. really need to have some kind of infrastructure uh, in in place. In A decentralized there. infrastructure, so it's not, does it? Yeah, yes. And it doesn't get you the best possible latency. So if you're doing something very latency sensitive, like, you know, uh, high frequency trading or, or you know, um, first person shooter, you know, games or something like that. Okay, then you probably want, want to have like a, as direct connection as possible. For, but for 99% of all use cases uh, for, for data streaming, uh, it's, uh, it's good, right? Absolutely. Can we switch gears a bit on uh, how are you guys developing this? Like uh, uh, a bit more details about the uh, technology stack, uh, programming languages. Uh, it's always uh, you know, good to know and uh, uh, to understand what languages and why certain technical decisions have been taken. But before that, uh, how many people are involved in the, in the development of Streamer? Yeah, we're around 30 people. Uh, oh, wow. at the moment we're quite a distributed team so we have we have like a headquarters here here in switzerland where i'm based um but the rest of the people are quite spread out so we're sort of like a remote first organization right. which is well everyone is right now <laughs> because of the covid right but Indeed. uh but but we were that already before <laughs> it's kind of yeah. Kind of so nice. No big changes for you. <laughs> no big changes for us at all, right? <laughs> all right. So programming languages, technology stack. How how is Streamer developed? Yeah. So the main programming language and, and platform that we write is is uh, JavaScript or, or TypeScript to be precise about the language. But why is it JavaScript? Well, we see that nowadays, like many applications run in the browser right so we wanted to sort of take an approach where the browser is first class citizen in the network so you you can actually like run a streamer node in the browser itself uh, even though you wouldn't maybe use it for mining the network or anything like that but you know you can use it as a subscriber so for example if you have an application a web application where you want to show some real-time data uh, then it sort of works natively in your browser um, and you don't have to have like a backend component that then pushes the data to your browser or, or anything like that. So it, it just runs natively there. And all, all, of course, when you do like mining or something like that, then you run it uh, in Node.js as a, as a more like a backend. So this is for the streamer network. And then the blockchain things are of course written in Solidity, which is a language that you use to write smart contracts on the Ethereum uh, platform for the EVM, which is the Ethereum virtual machine. And so I, I believe that the Solidity contracts are open source. Uh, and uh, is there any other open source components in the net? Yes, the actually, everything we do is open source okay. uh, from the start. So this is one of the sort of fundamentals of the project. We were we were crowdfunded via via the token launch in 2017. And since then, we've been building this stuff. There's like tens of open repositories on GitHub and anyone can just go in there and see what's in there or, or also contribute back. And of, of course, we'd like to welcome uh, all kinds of contributions. Um, cool. To uh, of course, we will report the links in the show notes of this episode on our official website, datasciencetome.com. Um, Henry, I would like to, uh, you know, before closing, I would like to speak about two products that uh, you guys are building on top of the network. 
to which I'm probably the most sensitive, and I believe also the audience of this podcast, uh, because it's uh, you know about data and data science. So the two uh, the two um, products uh, or applications that you guys are building is uh, data unions and the data marketplace. So let's start from the data unions. What is a data union and how does it work? Yeah, so data union is like a data crowd selling framework. <laughs> I mentioned it a little bit earlier briefly. So it's like, it's a framework where many people, you know, uh, you know, 100,000 people or a million people can uh, contribute data into, into the same place, basically. So, you know, they all send their data to, a, to, to the same stream or something like that. And then when there's value from that stream, for example, it's sold on the data marketplace, which we're, we're going to discuss very soon, then revenue gets shared among all those that contributed data, right? So one person's data is usually not that valuable. You know, if you put a, if you put a you know, weather, uh, weather station, weather sensor on your roof and sell that on the data marketplace, like... Who cares? It's like, you know, weather station of, of Francisco, <laughs> you know, uh, it's not very valuable. But if if a hundred thousand people put a weather station on the roof, you know, and, and suddenly you get density of measurements. Right. So everyone is, you know, contributing their local uh, measurements into this. You suddenly have a product with very valid uh, measurements about the environment. Right. right. So it's it's just a sort of framework or platform for building these kind of things and and one application for example that's already out there and has like 30,000 users is called swash and that's a browser plugin that you install and it sort of shares what you're doing on the web in a very transparent and opt-in way so it kind of spies on you but but you, 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 it, it totally shows you like everything that it's doing and it's very configurable and so on. Uh, so basically it uh, gets data from what people are doing, what sites they're visiting, this kind of stuff that traditionally is only known by, you know, maybe Google or, or right. these kind of parties. Uh, suddenly it becomes liberated and available to everyone if enough people join. And since there's payments involved, you sort of get to earn with the data that you're producing. Uh, you know, you're producing that data anyway. So why not? Uh, why not earn something? Monetizing, right. right? Exactly, exactly. It's like crowd monetizing uh, people's data streams. Makes perfect sense. So I can also contribute with personal data. Eventually, I can can I anonymize these things or? Or I, yeah, I just so it depends plug. on the application. Usually it's anonymized because the, the value of the data comes from, you know, the, the bigger phenomena and the sort of aggregate level that you could right. get. Um, so, so there's various, maybe it's pseudonymous. Usually it's pseudonymous because if you want to pay people, you need to know their, you know, their Ethereum address or something like that. So different data points coming from the same user might be connected to that Ethereum address, but you don't know whose address it is, right? So this is the typical typical case. Makes sense. You can do this kind of thing also, uh, of course, in a centralized way. You could just you know, have a database and store data there. But if you do it in a decentralized way, the benefit is that everyone is in control of the data that they are producing, 
right? You know, you're not giving away your data. You're actually in control of the encryption keys even. So even, a in, even on a technical level, you can control uh, who can access your, your data. And if you want to get out of the system, then, then you can. So there's very strong like consent management involved. And then there is the data marketplace, right? So I assume there is someone who wants to consume this data. Uh, first of all, is the data marketplace connected somehow to the data union concept? Uh, a little bit, yeah. So they are sort of, they form kind of a triangle, I guess, with the streamer network. So the data always goes to the streamer network, right? That's where the data is. Uh, and that's where you can also get it if you buy it on the marketplace. The marketplace is more like a meeting meeting place where buyers and sellers can uh, can make a contract or transact in a monetary way. So the marketplace is sort of heavy on the blockchain side of things. So you uh, you come in as a buyer, you interact with the smart contract, and the smart contract registers your payment and gives you a sort of license or subscription to the data, which unlocks that data for you on the streamer network level. So all data is encrypted. Uh, on the streamer network, but by purchasing access to to the data, you're you're basically purchasing. I'm simplifying a bit, but you're sure. basically purchasing the decryption keys right. for that data, right? So that's how you get access to the data after buying after buying the product on the marketplace. And data unions is like one way to produce data onto the marketplace. And it's also a special kind of seller on the marketplace. So when, when you buy a product, it could be sold by you know, a company or it could be sold by a data union. So uh, these things work together. So when you buy a product on the marketplace that's being sold by a data union, then the data union framework distributes the money to, to members of the data union or, or the data producers. Makes perfect sense, Henry. This is, uh, this is really, really cool. And, uh, and there are already 30,000 people doing this. Yeah, on, on this one application, Swash, which is the biggest data union at the moment. I think, you know, it's, it's growing very rapidly. So, so I think they're, they're going to get into a reasonable product in, you know, some months time. Who knows? 30,000 people isn't that much. But at some level, it's going to become like an interesting product for someone to buy to get insights into people's behavior online, like doing, I don't know, competitor analysis or, or whatever, or just seeing what's hot on Google at the moment, like what's trending, what are people searching for, these kind of things. And there's so many, you know, there's so many possibilities because this kind of data crowdsourcing has not really been possible before. Uh, either it has required a lot of trust in a central operator or it's been too difficult di to distribute any kind of payments because you know imagine you have a 30,000 people or 100,000 people and you have to pay everyone to their bank account or, or something like that you know you know it just it just doesn't work but <laughs> uh, you know with blockchain and decentralization it can actually work uh, which is very very cool yeah it's a it's a smart contract that's taking care of all that that stuff, right? So you don't exactly. have 100,000 accountants. Exactly. It's fully automated, right? <laughs> exactly. Right. Okay, Henry, what's coming up next with the streamer? Anything on the roadmap or something you want to share? Oh, there, there's a lot of stuff on the roadmap. <laughs> so one major thing that um, 
uh, has actually already come out this year is the Data Unions 2.0 version. So it's like an upgrade to the Data Unions framework. And what's coming next this year is the next milestone of the streamer network. So where we are at the moment is we have like a peer-to-peer -peer network, but we're still running uh, all the nodes as a team. So it's still centralized, right? And from this next milestone called Brubeck, uh, which I think we'll, we're gonna reach like around summer or late summer, something like this. It actually allows uh, everyone to run nodes, anyone. You know, you can, you can download the software and run a streamer node on your, uh, on your computer, right? And then you can integrate applications to your node and it sort of acts as an access point to everything that's on the streamer network. You can subscribe to data, you can publish to data. So that milestone marks the beginning of the true decentralization of the streamer network. So I'm super excited about that. And then later on at the end of, um, of the sort of initial roadmap that we envisioned when we started in 2017, there's the addition of the incentive layer uh, that I also mentioned this in this call. So what that adds is then you can actually earn those tokens by running a node. So in this year's milestone, um, it, will, it will work, it will be decentralized, but you can't mine those streams. It's more like operating on a intrinsic utility, we call it. So, you know, you have an interest to publish or subscribe to data from the network, but you're not getting paid for running a node. You're just running a node because you have an application that wants to use the network, right? But when we add these monetary incentives, uh, it becomes it becomes even better, especially if there's, uh, you know, things like churn or something like that of happening course. in uh, in your stream. And this is kind of a personal curiosity. I don't know if you can answer this, but it's going to be like the token is going to be something that I can use to purchase services in the same network or is it something that I can exchange on an exchange? Yeah, it can be ex freely exchanged. Uh, on, on secondary markets, you know, crypto exchanges. But the purpose of the token originally is to power the token economy of, of the streaming network. But of course, there's, you know, there's speculation. People are <laughs> yes. seeing it, uh, thinking that, okay, it might go up or down in value. Who knows, right? It's the crypto <laughs> market is kind of crazy space uh, for yeah. sure. Um, <laughs> but it's at the same time, it's very new, very interesting, you know, different coins are being created and, and the, I, I, you know, the serious ones are connected to some actual, <laughs> actual software product or platform, but there's all kind of jokes and scams in there. So yeah. <laughs> yes. Listeners, we are careful. aware of that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right. And this was a very interesting conversation. I'm pretty sure that the listeners of Data Science at Home podcast enjoyed as much as I uh, did uh, having a conversation with you. Uh, thank you very much for sharing and uh, wish you the best for Streamer Network. Thanks a lot. I had a really good time. So thanks for having me. You've been listening to Data Science at Home podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean to get new fresh episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or visit our website at datascienceathome.com.